0: Our scripture passage today is taken from the gospel according to Mark, chapter one, verses one through eight. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, see, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John the Baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. With the Holy Spirit. Well, this is, as far as we know, the first gospel. So this year we move into this new lectionary year, and we're going to be in the Gospel of Mark most of the time. And uh, even though it's not, you know, when you open up your New Testament, it's not the first book, they're ordered differently for a reason. Historically, uh, we believe that Mark's gospel was probably written first. And so it's the shortest of the Gospels, it's the least embellished with additional, with additional stories, additional perspectives, um, and we think that it was written a good solid 20 years before the Gospels of Matthew and, and Mark, and maybe 30 years or so before the Gospel of John. So uh, when he begins this story, he, you know, by the way, they also don't have titles, All right, so the Gospels don't have titles, they just start. So he writes and he just says, well, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So first, he begins by giving away the end. He gives away the, 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 the whole point, all right? The beginning of, Je- uh, of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So he doesn't, he doesn't lead you through like an episode of TV where you're wondering who this person is, and then finally at the end is the big reveal. Oh my gosh, it's the Son of God. He starts off by telling you who he is and says, this is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. But the beginning isn't where we think of it at Christmas time. You know, we think of the beginning as little baby Jesus in the manger and shepherds and all those those good little things, right? We think of that, but it's not. The Gospels tell us the beginning is actually with John the Baptist, Or John the Baptizer is how they translate it now. The more modern translations of scripture translated as John the Baptizer. We always learned it as John the Baptist. They really translated it that way because people were thinking it was like a denominational affiliation. And John is fulfilling a prophecy in Isaiah that says that there would be a voice out in the wilderness crying, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight there was this idea that you couldn't go straight to jesus that there needed to be between what they knew and what was coming this preparation and this preparation was brought by john and what he did was he came and he proclaimed a baptism of repentance now this is a little interesting for us because i think a lot of times when we think about people coming to faith we don't necessarily think of repentance preceding Jesus coming on the scene. I think it kind of works the other way. The people, you know, maybe be introduced into church. They come to like the message of Jesus. They like the gospel. They accept Jesus. And then they repent. But the order here is different. He proclaims this baptism of repentance... People accept the proclamation. This always confused me because I'm pretty sure that some of the people coming to John for this baptism of repentance weren't even sure what they were repenting. Because it says a lot of people came, including like Pharisees, scribes, people came out to him who were pretty much followers of of the law. I'm not even sure why they thought they needed this repentance. But they go and John baptizes them. They go because there was an understanding that before Jesus would come, they needed to repent. One of the things we need to understand in our lives is that in the order in which we deal with our lives versus faith, we need to understand that we have things in our lives that obstruct the path of Jesus into our lives. See, we have things that we think about that get in the way of fully accepting Christ. See, there's an analogy that I have. You know, a few years ago, um, we, for a few years in a row, we went on these mission trips down to West Virginia. Okay. And we would do these different things, you know, you're way out in the, uh, for a couple of years we were way out in, into the hollers and, and working on people's trailers and stuff like that. And the third year we were in a more, um, in one of the cities actually, uh, working with folks who needed some stuff done around their homes and for various reasons weren't able to do it themselves. And toward the end of the week we get to this house and it, ju- it needed to be painted it needed to be painted, and there was a lot that needed to be painted. And we, we walk in, and it's getting toward the end of the week, you know, and we're not sure how much time we have. And the person in charge of the project, we, we go in this room, and, and the walls are, you know, the paint's peeling, and somebody had put decals on it and stuff like that. And, and the person says, oh, it'll go fast. He said, just paint over it. They said, "Don't worry, just just you know, you're kind of short on time for the rest. Of it. Just paint over everything that's there." And we looked at it and we said, "No, we can't do that." All right, because we you know what's going to happen, right? What happens if we paint over all that stuff? It, it's going to peel. All right. If, if you don't take that wall, if you don't prep it properly first, if you don't remove the loose stuff that's there first, if you don't take those old decals off the wall first, if all you do is lay the paint on top of that, it's not going to stick. That stuff underneath is going to peel and it's going to take the new paint with it. We need to understand that When we come to faith, an adult faith, which comes later you know, in in our lives generally than when we've learned so many other things about the way life works. Because from the time you're in kindergarten, first grade, people are telling you how life works and then faith kind of grows and it tends to come when we're older and able to understand it. By the time we get to that age, we need to understand that there are already layers of things that the secular world has embedded into us that we then try and layer faith on top of. But the reality is that if we haven't taken the time or, or, or the energy, the, the intellect to look at what those things are and scrape those things away, the faith won't stick. The reason why the faith won't stick is for a very simple reason that the way of Christ isn't the way of the world. And so if you've been learning as a young child the way the world, quote unquote, supposedly works and then you lay faith on top of it, eventually you're going to hit that point where the two collide. And when the two collide, you have to be ready to understand which is first, which is prior. And these things collide at some very fundamental levels. These things collide at things like the definition of success. These things collide at at things like what is our obligation to other people? How do we think about our obligation to other people? You know, we tend to think of it as as concentric circles, and I'm not sure Jesus has that idea embedded in, in his thought. What does it actually mean to be generous when we talk about giving? You know, what does it really mean to be generous and selfless in a Christian sense versus what we see in the secular world? By the way, the, the collision's real easy. Whenever you see a person who is completely living the way Christ would have them live. I mean, just totally sold out to the, to the way Christian, Christian faith would, would have us be. People look at them, and they say they're either crazy, you know, fanatical. Depends on how you look at it, there will be the expression of like, wow, they're weird, they're strange. There's something wrong with the person who has gone completely into living the way Christ would have us live. And we get a taste for that in this story because they go out of their way to remind you that John was odd. That he wore odd clothes and he ate odd things. The hint is right there from the beginning. The hint is right there from the beginning that if you are going to prepare to follow Christ you have to prepare to be a little bit out of step a little bit out of sync or maybe a lot out of step and a lot out of sync with the way the world has us thinking. See we mostly carry some core principles in our lives that aren't actually Christian. Look out for number one. It's one I was told a lot as a kid. So my parents would take me to church all the time and then tell me to look out for myself first. Okay? (laughs) I don't think that's all that unusual, actually. And we have to learn How to balance these competing sets of principles. And we have to learn which one is more important. And we need to learn that, yes, living in this world will mean compromises. The church has compromised in many ways because we live in, all churches live in this tension that exists between trying to be as purely faithful to Jesus as possible and trying to have people come to church. It actually is a tension because when you have churches that sit there and say, we are going to demand that everybody live as much as possible, all right, because some rules come into play then. There are other churches that go, if you're not tithing, you're not welcome. Moral failure of any kind, you're not welcome. Anything, you know, and, and the rules can get longer and longer and longer and longer as they start to say, if you're not doing it right, you really don't belong in this community of faith, because we're, we're focused on, on being exactly as good and as perfect as, as Jesus would have us be. And then you have the other side, which is essentially, but wait a second. We're supposed to invite people in, and people are, by nature, imperfect, right? I mean, we also know that if we ever find a perfect, you know, it's the old joke, if you ever find a perfect church, don't join it because you'll ruin it. So at the, uh, on the other side of this tension, this compromise is saying, but we need to be welcoming. And we need to be welcoming of people who are very early in their journey or not even yet on a faith journey. And we have to be accepting and welcoming. And and we we need to just show the love of Christ no matter what. And there's always that tension. There's always the tension that exists. And there's always the tension that's going to exist in your lives between adhering to the values of the world so that you can function in this society and adhering to the values of Christ so that you are faithful as you do it. It's a tough thing in any relationship. I mean, if you're in a relationship, you know that actually you are right all the time. right? You know this. You just know that you're right all the time. But you also understand that that remaining in the relationship depends on letting the other person think they're right some of the time you have to do that you have to balance this but you also have to keep you also have to have a solid sense of who you actually are you have to understand who you are and you understand when you're compromising and you understand when the relationship itself is more important than the principles that you're trying to stick to the church exists in society in much that same tension We are trying to both be faithful to Christ, be faithful to what we believe, live into our principles, and yet also live in an imperfect world, in an imperfect society, attract as many people as possible to the gospel, even if that means making certain compromises. And and like individuals, every church believes it's drawing the line in exactly the right place. And whenever they, have, whenever they see a church that goes too far off into one direction, other churches go, well, look at them. Of course they're getting more people. They're, they're just compromising. And you look at a church that's a little to, to your, your whatever side, right, left, up, down, however you want to describe it, who's on the other side of the line. You go, oh, well, they're just being too strict and unfriendly. And everybody's really just trying to navigate the complexities of this relationship. But the thing that I, I'm trying to encourage you to do is to make sure that you are thinking about what your core values are that drive your actions and think about where they come from. Are they actually scriptural or not? Are you making a compromise because you have to in order to function at a practical level in this world? And when you do so, you know, is this a compromise you can live with? But if we're not willing at some point to say that certain things, certain things that are implanted in us by the secular world are fundamentally at odds with Christ. And so we have to let go of those things. If we don't have that willingness to let them go, the faith won't stick. Those things will collide. And when they do, we will choose to hang on to the one and not the other. See, John said, I'll baptize you with water. He'll baptize you with this baptism of repentance. He'll come and wash, help you think about and wash away what was in you in order to make way for what was coming. As We all progress in faith. We are asked to wash away some of what was. Not just the things that are obvious, because those are actually easy. They may be difficult to accomplish, but they're easy to mentally accept. The things that you do wrong that you know are wrong, and you know that to live in faith you need to get rid of them, it's an easy mental adjustment to make, even if the temptation is hard the harder mental adjustment to make is those things that you were always raised to believe were right, except that you were raised to believe that they were right because they were right in the eyes of a secular culture. And in faith, we're being called to revisit that core principle and at the very least understand that it isn't a core principle Of following Jesus. And when we do that, when we do that, we come to our faith more honestly. When we do that, we have really prepared the way for our faith to take root, to take hold, to really adhere in our lives. Because we've laid a base of Christian principles to guide us. And then from there, We can interact with the world in love and in peace and in tolerance and in in understanding and in acceptance. But doing it from from a base of truly being who Christ would have us be.